Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is Grace Asagra of Quantum Nurse Podcast, and welcome to Freedom International Livestream. And I am joined today by another great political analyst mm. who is becoming a friend of mine. He oh, may thank you. Personally, <laughs> just because I connect with him in Telegram, and mm. that's Tim Kirby. And I may he may not see me there all the time, but I do make sure that I make it a discipline for me to check on what Tim Kirby is doing. And of course, co-hosting me is uh, Hartmut Schumacher from Germany. So Tim, I welcome you and I know you're so busy, but thank you for your generous time. Oh, thank you. I'm always happy to be here. I I appreciate going on a nice uh, friendly program where we can actually uh, really dive into these topics. And I appreciate you uh, following my channel, Tim Kirby Russia, hardcore, easy to find on Telegram. Right, correct, correct, mm. and yeah, for sure, it's a it's a treasure. Okay, so yeah. like you find it, you know, in it's a it's beautiful, it's beautiful, okay. and also if you search him, he still has the Tim Kirby Russia in YouTube, and then you'll find him also in other channels yeah. like those like American Village, like a. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the American Village, if people look for the word American Village, they should see the uh, name there on uh, Telegram. Yeah, that's about the information about... uh, I've been trying for a long time to put together uh, a sort of a community that will allow people to uh, immigrate to Russia. We're really close to doing something in a different location. We're very close, but uh, it's it's tough. It's tough really uh, trying to develop something that's kind of like a real estate project and an immigration project when you don't have a lot of money of your own. So it's a real challenge. And don't forget to, for the viewers, don't forget to like, subscribe, and Mm. share this channel and also Tim's uh, information because it's very important that we can be connected like a beautiful, strong web, okay, Mm. that we're connected from all over the world. And we can do that easily now. So there's no excuse that you feel alone or you feel weak. Because we are not, we we really just have to intend that yeah. what we're doing is Im- so important. And Tim Kirby is a um, has been living in Russia since two thousand six. Mm-hmm. He has been playing also with Moscow Spartans American Football Club. So. Yeah. First, tell us a little bit more about that because you were just um, saying something very good. Well, I I was kind of just explaining how and one thing that's kind of frustrating about Russia is it sort of has the pace of American football where uh, something takes like two weeks and then all of a sudden you need to get something done in two days, right? Be it bureaucracy, be it things at work. So it kind of has the flow of American football. First, the guys huddle up. They talk about what they're going to do, and then for five seconds, they really you know, pound into each other, move the ball downfield, and then you stop, and you have another huddle. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, so it definitely has that kind of um, pace to life here, especially when you're trying to get stuff done. Uh, so the more you try to get stuff done in Russia, the more you're just kind of stuck waiting. Uh, and uh, yeah, it can be very frustrating. Uh, I would especially believe, uh, I've always heard there's a stereotype that Germans are very... Uh, punctual and orderly and that the bureaucracy is very well organized and i can imagine that uh, some german people come here uh, and it must be a living nightmare <laughs> so um, we are not we are not this type anymore <laughs> no Since the last government we are not this type anymore everything is becomes more it's become more than uh, 
that say the history of the East. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Well, I know for Americans, uh, the one thing they're more dis um disappointed with is that there isn't really a sort of like service industry mentality. Like uh, generally, uh, in America, when you kind of grow up, you kind of get used to this uh, sort of attitude that many people have where like, you know, the waitresses want to be nice to you for a tip or even people work at these government buildings. They're kind of, I don't know, maybe afraid to lose their job or who knows, maybe they're naturally friendly, but you kind of always go wherever you go, people kind of like give this, they kind of like want to help you. Uh, <laughs> the Russian bureaucrats do not. So I can tell you one thing that uh, uh, I've always had much better experiences with anything bureaucratic in America than Russia. But uh, that is not a reason not to live here, because unfortunately, as we've talked about on previous uh, my appearances here, there are definitely some uh, very deep problems in the West. And especially if you have kids, uh, Russia definitely is uh, uh, an escape uh, from some of that madness. That's for sure. Interesting. And if, if everyone is paying attention to each other's culture, there's really no, no such thing as a perfect group of people perfect no <laughs> no 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 but no. the beautiful thing is finding the commonality in there and then eventually yeah. when you can adjust to each other because it's not killing you like you know they might say that okay filipinos latin americans or something they yeah. they tend to be late unless unless you're a nurse you're a nurse or you in that kind of profession that you have to be on time but then, mm. but, so I'm, I'm used to that being on time. But then on the other hand, you just kind of slow down because it's not killing me to wait a little bit. And, you know, you adjust mm. your 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 relationship, uh, you know, because it and that's the beautiful thing. I think with what Tim does, which is mm. really beautiful for me, is all he he may be a he, very strong, truthful political analyst, but he sees the beauty of uh, of anything that may others don't really see good so when when and and that's why for me his his is niche another niche that he does is that informing people about the russian life and about you know um, the american village or just informing people with information that we don't really know about mm -hmm. russia because even Tim, whether I go to the Philippines or in United States, yeah. in private conversation or in media, it's like most of the things that you hear is just awful, especially in movies, right? So no. I guess that's why I said I, I really want Tim to come back again and, you know, talk no. more about that and inform people, you know. Of the well, media. yeah, and I can imagine in the Philippines, um, their media has to be more or less owned i assume by the west you know what i mean so i would assume they probably get very similar opinions to the opinions that are shown in public in like western europe or something like that so uh yeah that's kind of part of the problem especially in countries where they lack um, uh, resources or uh, money uh it's always really bad with the media because they just can't compete they don't have the money to really produce their own media to uh fight against uh, the mainstream machine as it were so yeah, so like I know of a family family member, she she was working in Russia, just maybe a contractual work. I don't know exactly what. So then her mother said, "He's she's back in the Philippines because mm. of what's going on in in Ukraine." So part of me 
they think like being in Russia will be dangerous. I said, oh no. <laughs> and of course I usually say, oh no, you you should stay there more. And well, <laughs> well, if she if she came as a cleaning woman and she was cleaning that one particular office building that did get hit by one of Zelensky's drones, then maybe in that instance. But uh otherwise, yeah, it's uh the war doesn't really have much of a physical effect on us uh here. I mean, there's been a couple sort of what the Russians consider to be terrorist strikes as in uh, a city street uh, during the middle of the day was hit in Belgorod. Uh, Belgorod is the capital city of one of uh, the Russian states that borders uh, Ukraine. Um, but um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, there's really um, no danger here. One thing I can say, though, is uh, if, um, because a lot of, um, from what I understand, people from certain countries like the Philippines, they go elsewhere to work to send money back home. Well, now sending money uh, outside of Russia is is a real pain in the butt. Um, again, I don't know what the banking system is like in the Philippines. Uh, sending money to places like uh, India and China and Dubai is pretty much as easy as it ever was. But since the Philippines has so much influence from the West, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a real pickle uh, trying to send your money back home. So maybe she had no choice but to leave. I don't know. True. Well... I'll be going home uh, next month and see, I think I'm going to visit them again and I'll ask further questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear that. I'd be very intrigued to, to hear what uh, their perception of Russia is because I've never, uh, the best, the closest I've gotten is talking to someone from Indonesia in depth about uh, life in Russia, but never anyone from the Philippines now once. So. Okay. I'll, I'll report to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. So and and then um, I, what I, I shared with Tim before, you know, is is that I I wanted to use some images and some of them are memes because for me again, the power of image imagery, the power of art and conversation and voice, those are where energetically you could really sense if there is such a thing as uh, truth or not truth. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, sure. um, let me put this first image. And uh, I, I said to, I suggested to Hartmut, feel free to interject Hartmut. Okay. So, oh, <laughs> not that one, not that one. Not let's, that one. Let's start. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I wanted to start. Yeah, this one I want first. Oh, good. Okay, let me take, take the, make it clear more. Okay, there. Yeah, so that's Tim Kirby. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. Well, what this image is, is um, it's actually a, a collection of uh, stickers or smileys. I forget the terminology they use, but um, I um, the there's this one social media network called Adnoklastiki, uh, which means like classmates in Russian. Uh, if you remember uh, back in the original idea of Facebook was, I guess, at some universities, there'd be this like book of faces so you could meet people there that did not exist when i went to college and uh, i never heard of it till facebook the program uh existed but anyways same logic um and uh i'm kind of one of their more popular people that's not related to politics that's related to the travel videos i shoot um but uh yeah so i'm popular enough there that i'm kind of like one of their official people and so all their official people get to have their own official smiley sticker uh pack there so yeah and I, I thought this would be a good one because right from the start, 
you know, of uh, the Ukraine war, sanctions happen, although sanctions has been happening for decades already. So why don't you educate us more about it? Oh, okay. So about the whole uh, sanctions thing. So uh, yeah, of course, um, the, the Western media just, it never ceases to disappoint. We, everyone here who's speaking uh, in this uh, discussion uh, completely understands that, that they fail over and over again on all sorts of topics, not just with Russia. It's uh, uh, their analysis of the Middle East tends to be terrible. Their analysis of China is terrible. Their analysis of even things that are happening in the United States are terrible. Or if, I think we all remember that, well, Donald Trump has absolutely no chance against Hillary Clinton, the clear front runner. You know, stuff like that. We could we could find hundreds of examples of something that they've dropped the ball on. But about sanctions, um, let's then uh, talk about it this way. Uh, as sort of an everyday person who lives here, well, although in some ways I'm kind of not an everyday person. So <laughs> on one level, I could say that things at the store have gotten more expensive. But so like food has gotten more expensive. That's one thing I don't quite understand why. Uh, I guess we have to pay for the war somehow. We're paying with our stomachs. But uh, food has gotten noticeably more pricey. I would say before everything is maybe 20 to 30% more expensive in terms of food than before the war. However, when the war first started, although the public supported it, there was a real run on stuff. Like for some reason, uh, someone was telling me that like, Tim, all the shampoo companies are all owned by the West. You know, like uh, what is it? Bausch and Lam and uh, Unilever and all this stuff. Man, we're gonna run out of shampoo, man. So I bought like three pot, three bottles of men's shampoo and uh, a couple other things. And I can tell you one thing: that if you don't look at things from a business perspective, where you need some sort of weird part for a tractor or something, nothing changed. Like nothing. It was so we all sort of expected that there'd be some sort of like period where maybe it would take Russia's economy time to catch up. But I mean, it was seamless. Uh, you know. You go to McDonald's one day and it's McDonald's. And then the next day you go to it where it has a different logo, but all the uh, packaging for everything in McDonald's is just pure white because they didn't know what to do with it yet. So you get a, a blank McDonald's. You go back in another two or three weeks and it's already been completely rebranded without stopping, like with no stoppages. Uh, the same thing, uh, all these shell gas stations uh, with it one for one day were shut down and the next day they became teb oil whatever teb means i have no idea maybe it stands for something so yeah if you want to talk about it from like a consumer average person standpoint uh the sanctions did way less than anyone thought even people who like myself thought it would be worth it to go through this to liberate the donbass from all the horrible killings and murders uh, that they were the victims of uh, over the uh eight years after the Maidan. Uh, on sort of the more macroeconomic level, it looks like Russia's economy is booming and uh, things actually in some ways couldn't be better. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, and on the, on the flip side, here in the United States, we're feeling everything rising in terms of uh, consumer cost. And yeah. so it, it's just interesting that you sanctions are intended to make the other the other the other nations or the other groups really suffer and yet mm -hmm. we're the ones suffering as well uh, and yeah. even worse as you said 
So. Well, yeah, or like things like here's a, here's a, gr- a great example where Russians recently, so like not at the beginning of the war, but recently the price of eggs really went up. It was like a dollar uh, for a um, carton of 10 eggs and it became like a dollar and 30 cents and Russians went on fire. It was all over, you know, the media and everyone was angry and there were a bunch of memes. There were a bunch of memes about like, you know, uh, uh, honey, I bought you, uh, we're investing in our future and the guy pulls out a carton of eggs, right? Like those kind of memes related to stuff. Uh, of that sort. And, um, but in the United States, I just saw a video where a woman pulled out, you know, a dozen eggs for $8, you know, $8. So yeah, I mean, it kind of depends, uh, how, how you look at things, but, uh, yeah, uh, things are from what I'm told by everyone in America, things are getting crazy expensive. Uh, I sort of have the advantage of, uh, the media in Russia really had sort of a rebirth. I think when the Maidan happened, it really caused sort of the Russian economy and especially the media to kind of um, almost uh, turn to, to stone while it's a, a stasis, like in a futuristic movie when they send people to another planet. They put sort of the co- economy and media in stasis, and it was really hard to do any new project. Nothing was happening. The war starts, and now everyone's full of new ideas and new projects and uh I can say that definitely the media is uh, reborn, uh, born anew uh, since the start of the war. And, of course, since I work in the media, uh, that uh, provides a lot of benefits to me personally. And I believe, Hartmut, your country is even worse than here in the United States when it comes to inflation. You want to describe about that? Yeah, it's uh, we have we have unofficially if we um for example if you buy for 60 euros if you want to buy food then you have maybe one third in the basket than one year ago oh and um, this is uh is also quite as everything has become quite expensive and uh, especially now we have got additional carbon dioxide taxes and uh, new taxes and our, let's say it this way, our government likes to make rules and likes to create taxes in a way we have never be, we have never had yeah. before. And um, for this reason, um, for example, here we pay for one uh, for one liter diesel, you pay one one euro eighty. Yeah. Okay. And I think in uh, in Russia it's seventy or eighty cents. Yeah, some uh, some like that. Um, the problem is, you know, the exchange rate changes. I'm just gonna today. I'm talking with the bad, the recently bad exchange rate of one ruble uh, uh, being or we one hundred rubles being one dollar. It's just easier the math. And based on that math, yeah, well, a liter of normal gasoline is fifty cents then, based on that math. Um, yeah, this is the, without taxes. Without taxes, our price of gasoline would be seventy cents. Something like that. Without taxes, yeah. so the taxes in Germany is one dollar twenty. One dollar ten. Well, yeah. Well, that's one thing where, um, you know, um, I don't want to get too into it, and I'm not the, the the true economic genius or anything. I am a man of the middle class, but I can tell you that um, of sort of those Republican talking points. Uh, the the low taxes is is something people need to really stick up for because ultimately um taxation really i think uh kills people's ability to work and live and a lot can be done on minimal taxes and i think russia is actually a good example of that there are definitely some things in russia that work better 
than others. There's still a lot of problems. But as I uh, kind of tell people, it's kind of like living the Republican dream. It's like you get to work in a country where you work for yourself and pay 4% taxes. You know, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, I work on the side a lot and I do that. Thing. Oh, here's a new one. Uh, yes, it says uh, the, the word at the bottom that is in Ukrainian colors um, is a, the kind of shortening for the word counteroffensive. So it's kind of like counteroffensive. To be more like, mm, uh, I don't know how you want to pull, say it, more streetwise way of saying it, uh, if there was such a way. Uh, but because it's supposed to be kontrnastuplenie, uh, but that's kontrnastup uh, cut off there. But um, yeah, uh, and uh, trust me, that uh, the, the transsexual uh, entity that's to the right on my screen, I don't know what side's on for you guys, uh, in the wig. Uh, that person became crazy famous in Russia. I think uh, their last name is Carrillo, or maybe if it's Spanish, it's like Carrillo. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Uh, that is also that person for Russians really became yet another sort of like a symbol of just like what Russia is fighting against of yeah, this yeah. Uh, tranny tyranny, uh, if you will um yeah and uh how like ridiculous uh is that and also that person really uh killed a lot of ukrainian pr because they sort of went uh in english the way that we americans speak it went whole hog pure total fascistic because when the ukrainians said all this crazy fascistic stuff as long as stay the ukrainian language no one cared but once something happens in english and in like the right kind of english and it's in the media that's when people actually, I think that actually opened a lot of people's eyes. So ironically, putting this weird training into this position of being like a political spokesperson um, actually really backfired, really backfired. And of course, the image to the bottom right is another example of backfiring. Uh, if that's a British tank, what do the British have? Challengers? I don't remember. Sorry, uh, I'm not good with my tanks. My friend Sean would kill me for this. He's a tank, a true tank expert. But anyways, uh, it's the sort of image that showed when the counteroffensive started, how uh, the uh, Kiev's forces really didn't know how to do it. And despite having all those European tanks, they didn't really um, amount to much. And that's the part of the image to the left. That's like the map. It shows, you know, after throwing, uh, sadly, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives into this battle. That's what ultimately Kiev's forces gained over the entire counteroffensive. That. I, they never um, breached, the, they never even breached the first Russian line. They only sort of got into firing range of the Russians, and then that's it. So, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got the information from the East, so the official information of Ukraine is 500,000 people are killed in the war. Yeah, uh, well, that's uh, in the war. I don't know about the counteroffensive though, because uh, before the, there's probably already 200,000 dead before that, but again, yeah, uh, is, I don't want to speculate and give you incorrect information. So. No, this is I got the information from uh, from the east from your side that one million from the Ukrainian side died and 300,000 from the Russian side died already. I don't and know about two, three, well, I don't know about 300,000 from the Russian side. I think things would look a lot more bleak online if that were the case. Uh, some people are saying it was more like going to be forty to fifty thousand. Uh, it's still oh, really? a national tragedy. It's still a national tragedy. But trust me, uh, it is uh, uh, maybe a somewhat unfortunately necessary national tragedy. But uh, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think it's anywhere near three hundred thousand for the Russian side. Okay, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. 
and um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, um, uh, that's that goes back to the whole thing of, um, unfortunately, um, the mentality uh, in Washington um, is that they don't seem to understand this good old, uh, you know. American English expression of you uh, catch a lot more flies with honey, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Putin's uh, and the Russian sort of respectful dealings with Africa have really, uh, you know, wooed away um, Africa from uh, under France. I mean, um, France has been, oh, I forget from which countries France has been removed from where they've been asked to leave, but essentially the sort of legacy colonial presence of uh, French forces in Africa is uh, really being pushed away. And it's mostly been pushed away, not by Russians using force or something like during the cold war, but by simply, simply creating good deals. You know what I mean? And, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Biden's attitude towards Zelensky is uh, not quite the same. And as time goes on, we can sort of see that already uh, Project Ukraine is becoming less and less popular, especially with the upcoming election. And uh, uh, I think uh, eventually Zelensky will be swept under the rug of history from a Western standpoint. Uh, he'll, be, he'll still be in the history books in Russia uh, for many generations to come. It's an interesting picture because uh, a couple of months ago we had here in a podcast with um, with a Russian um, friend of mine from St. Petersburg, Stas Bogdanov, and mm -hmm. he is also very no. He has also a lot of knowledge concerning politics, and he explained to us by a photo from the fifties where you could see in which you could see a black child in a cage with two uh, white children. Yeah. And uh, this is the image of the imperialists. So mm -hmm. um, the, the the white imperialists have the whole time they treated Africa or uh, the African people like animals, putting yeah. them in the cage or uh, walking with them or playing with them, but more like an animal than like a human being. And uh, this exploitation can find all over the place when you find... Uh, Uh, when you find that the Western countries are allies of the African countries. And in the opposite, uh, Russia has uh, given them a lot of respect and honor. For example, if a president of Africa came to Russia, he became specific ranks. He became a title. He became, uh, he became um, a very nice, uh, um, yeah, let's say, A very nice dinner party for him and yeah, yeah so the respect was completely on a different level with respect to uh, uh, in comparison with uh, the european or West, with the western nations yeah and this one thing i'd like to directly this picture is explaining yeah and and I, one thing i kind of like to add which is something which is kind of a problem with russian society um, but here it's going to, you're going to have to, to wait for this one. because it sounds like I'm saying this is a bad thing when in, in some ways it's kind of a good thing, but kind of a bad thing. But anyways, um, I've really only seen over the years of living in Russia. And again, this phenomenon I'm talking about used to be much stronger and I think it's finally, uh, changing. But if you, uh, really sit down and live here and talk to a lot of Russians, the only real like hardcore racism that you get from Russians 
is about Russians themselves being inferior to the West. And you can really see that in the fact that even during the Cold War, right, when the, the Soviet Union, first off, was not nearly as rich as the United States, uh, it had this weird ideology that was, you know, anti-religious, which certainly would make you think you'd have a lot of trouble uh, dealing with certain countries, especially in the Middle East. But the Soviet Union and then Russia after that has always been able to do really well with uh, doing the sort of real politic, making agreements with the uh, Arabs, Africans, the Chinese uh, to a major degree, the Indians. Remember, Russia's always been able to, even during the Cold War, the height of the Cold War with India being, you know, a capitalist uh, Western-style democracy, they still had good relations with the Soviet Union uh, to the chagrin of uh, a lot of um, Europe and America. And uh, despite the fact that they're far away, Latin America has always gotten along really well with the Russians and this, that. The real problem is that Russians have always seen themselves as being inferior to Europe. And that's where they always get bitten right in the butt. And that's, I think, part of the problems with this uh, war is I think a lot of the Russians were sort of suckered in that they didn't, they, they didn't conceive that the Europeans could hate them as much as they do. <laughs> you know, by Europeans, I mean the establishment Europeans, well, not your average person who's walking around in a village in Sweden. Obviously, uh, he's not really part of the problem, is he? But, you know, so that's changing. Uh, I can tell you when I first got here, uh, when someone hears you have an American accent, they would like practically, uh, practically get on their knees and bow to a man from the golden utopia, right? Uh, who comes from true civilization. Why would you ever come to such an awful country? Or why would you come to such awful country like these? You know, uh, that was the way it was. Uh, things have changed a lot. I think a lot of Russian pride has been restored, but uh, Russia's ability to see itself as inferior to the West is a very deep cultural phenomenon, and it's something I'm always scared about, uh, you know. Um, so I'm very, I'm always very worried. And just the fact that it seems like the Russians thought that they could make an agreement with Kiev uh, <laughs> to avoid this war that Washington really wants, a little naive, a little naive. When it comes um, to the West, Russia acts really goofy. It was so interesting on the, um, on the 29th of November, our Chancellor Steinmeier was invited to Qatar. Mm -hmm. And uh, here in Germany, we have funny videos about how um, how respected uh, Putin was by by uh, by a visit of Qatar. For example, he came; uh, the jets uh, flied over his plane and uh, had the blue, white, and red f uh, colors of the flag. Uh, there were horses riding next mm -hmm. to the car. The, the streets were full of red, white, and blue uh, colored flags. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it's so many things. And then you saw our chancellor uh, standing there uh, in a, and waiting in his airplane for 20 minutes that the government officials would come because ah, well. <laughs> everything was right, but no one came only 20 minutes later. So this was uh, really an yeah, this was really embarrassing yeah. and uh, this shows what kind of value our country has already become in the world 
Yeah, and it also probably is a reflection of the uh, the fact that they think that you can actually negotiate with Russia, because if you believe that real negotiations could happen, you know you're going to try to put in a lot of uh, effort to really, um, as we say, schmooze them. Really, you know, make the person who's coming feel good, get them in a good mood, maybe strike some kind of deals. Whereas, you know, if you're dealing with some kind of like Washington spokesperson, there's nothing you can do. I mean, if you look uh, just uh, today, the Iraqi government again wants to ask U.S. forces to leave. They've been asking for years. And it's also hilarious that uh, it was the Iraqi government that was put in place thanks to the uh, NATO invasion of Iraq, you know, basically the puppet government. The second that they sort of actually got into the position, they already are just like, please, you know, uh, I, we know you put us into power, but could you leave anyways? <laughs> and they've been doing this for I don't know how many years, five, seven, ten, is it already? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, if you don't really think that there's any point in negotiating with this person, that nothing can be achieved, why do the whole thing with the uh, the airplanes and the colorful smoke and the, the cavalry parade? It's pointless. You know, I, I think that that's ultimately what, it, ultimately what it reflects. Maybe it's not so much an attempt to make disrespect as just like, you know, Germany's kind of a vassal of the United States and a vassal that can't really decide anything on their own like and they're not going to decide anything so what's the point of this you know yeah what's the point of this that's, in, that's a, correct. in a way it kind of boils down to really i'm great you're seeing that change tim because even like um, again if i want to simplify it in terms of health yeah. if one doesn't really look at oneself with that respect and confidence that there's something in you that is better or that you could, you know, you don't have to compare yourself all the time with others. Forever, your mental health, your emotional health will always go down and you won't be able to accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it seems like that's what's happening when you describe it that way. And no. that, that's, I think that's also the same thing when uh, in the Philippines, when we see... Um, People, European Americans or any person lighter than our the color of our skin, yeah, we think they're much better. Or we sort of like, oh, you know, you have that worship thing, and it's because again, the, as most of us know now, the history that we've known, whether it's our Philippine history and then the world history it got so distorted and so that's that's one thing that i think well, education should be revamped and when since you mentioned about the um you know middle east tim so um is is it a good does it is it a good sign that you know they're withdrawing force us forces from syria or is just another strategy to divert, but then there's an underneath, there's more nefarious approach because, you know, it's a war game. Well, I don't claim to be an expert on the Middle East, but I can say a few things. Uh, I'll put it this way. If I was an American uh, serviceman uh, serving at that uh, base or anything related to Syria, and I was hearing they're going to pull us out, I'd be thrilled uh, because as we've seen over the past few uh uh, months, uh, really since the start of the heat in Gaza, but I think even a bit before that, uh, you know, U.S. bases are getting hit. They're getting attacked, uh, and it looks more like they're kind of like warning shots, but, uh, you know, um, I even made uh, one of my videos about how in a lot of ways uh, 
um, with this whole, especially with like the Red Sea being sort of closed down. And then if Iran really wants to, um, you know, uh, start to make it so that way no one can get into the Persian Gulf, to be honest, if you think about it, all those guys, those are especially U.S. Uh, servicemen, they're trapped. They're pretty much trapped there because uh, to, to get anywhere to sort of escape, you're dealing with hundreds of kilometers, maybe even more of uh, pure sand and mountains, you know. So uh, I, I made a video, kind of like a warning video. Trust me, I take no glee in this, uh, but I see them as being really sitting ducks. So if there's some way that they can uh, get these guys uh, out of there to do something else with their U.S. military service, from their human, from a humane standpoint, great, good news. Now, if we go into sort of like the grand strategy uh, sort of thing, it's the question is, okay, if they're going to pull out of Syria, kind of strange because they've invested a lot into being in Syria and supposedly they've been stealing serious oil, which I've always found really hard to believe, but I've seen a lot of videos of a lot of convoys of tankers from the Eastern part of Syria. I'm still not completely convinced because I don't understand how the logistics of that would actually work out. When you think about it, basically, if you think about like the quantity of oil that would need to be stolen in order to make it worth it, Versus even a convoy of 100, 100 trucks. I still don't quite understand it. But long story short, um, doing any sort of convoy of trucks is not possible right now. It'll get hit or intercepted. And so maybe in a lot of ways, it's become uh, impossible to control Syria's uh, oil fields. And so they're realigning. But in general, um, this whole thing of putting uh, U.S. military bases that aren't particularly massively uh, powerful or defended. And even at this point, it would seem that a lot of the defenses don't even work to shoot down enemy missiles. Um, it, it really has just left these bases vulnerable. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. Again, if I were the president of the, the United States, uh, I would understand that the United States has to maintain some sort of Middle Eastern presence. Although, gosh, have we become hated there, unfortunately. Uh, but as it stands today, we need to do something which would mean maybe kind of finding some solution of Israel and making Israel our big uh, beachhead uh, for the Middle East. Just that way we have something. But these uh, anything around Afghanistan, anything in the sands of Iraq, the southeastern tip of Syria, this is nonsense. These guys are just sitting ducks on these bases, especially now that there's no way to escape by sea. So um, uh, maybe it's a move towards sanity, but... I don't know. I just don't know. You said maybe there's some sort of ulterior motive. I don't know how this could be nefarious. I don't see how leaving Syria could be part of something evil, with the exception of, if you didn't notice, the United States closes the Afghanistan front, and then a year later, Russia's at war with Ukraine. So, you know, uh, maybe there is something to that, but I don't think the presence in Syria is that big as it was uh, the president, as the presence in Afghanistan was. You see, I agree, but uh, I think uh, I've heard also many times that they steal the the oil from Syria, and yeah. they have occupied, I don't know, twenty five percent or thirty percent of the country, and mm -hmm. only the territory where Syria, where the oil is, yeah, and uh, so they also um, block the the um, the construction of a pipeline of a gas pipeline from Iran to Syria. Oh, yeah. This is 
we have the Syrian wars, war was only because of not only but one one big key point was the gas pipelines because mm -hmm. the Russians wanted to have a, a gas pipeline from Iran to Syria through Turkey to Greece and Baumgarten. Mm -hmm. And the West Western world wanted to have a pipeline from Qatar over Syria. Yeah. yeah. And so um, at the moment, by this occupation, this pipeline is blocked and uh, they can take the oil, of course. And this is... Uh, and if they want to, and if they have to leave Syria, this means something. In my opinion, there must be something scary going on. Well, yeah. Well, again, the question is: I don't quite know how much oil they've gotten out of this, but uh, yeah, I mean, they or they just might not be able to hold it because eventually, these sort of warning shots that they have been shot at them are eventually going to turn into something uh, bigger. Perhaps the Iranians have. Uh, Made that clear. I don't know. There's a little bit. There's a little bit of a mystery element to this that I. This uh, is all together. There was uh, a couple of years ago. There was um, there was a report about an American general because the the Americans they make um, war games, so one general has to play the Iranian side and one and, and other generals have to play the 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 U.S. side. Mm -hmm. And they tried to occupy, they tried to conquer Iran. Yeah. And by the street of Hormuz and so on. And every time the American general who represented Iran won this war. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, the Congress was very sad about this. So they decided that the uh, general who represented Iran has to tell every every movement at every place of his rockets so that he so that he lost the war and then the oh, so they, they changed the rules i see they yeah, yeah. The rules. yes they changed no. the rules so that the uh represent the, the the american general general who represented uh the iran had to lose yeah and then yeah. they could then they could say for congress or another official parliament i don't know which it was uh look we have won we can yeah. win the war against Iran. Well, yeah. Well, also too. Um, well, since I'm at the computer, I might as well uh, uh, get out my world map here, so I don't uh, mess this up. But you know, if you're we're thinking about things like from what directions, uh, you know, uh, if we look to, look at things at the grand board game, like from where can you actually attack Iran? Okay. Well, you know, Azerbaijan um, in the north there's kind of, in some ways, pro Western. But there's still a lot of mountains there, and um, I don't know. Uh, Turkmenistan's not going to agree to that or help out. Then you have Afghanistan, which was lost, and Pakistan to the east, which there's a lot of mountains and all that. So essentially what it boils down to is even though also, like I mentioned before, you know, Iraq uh, does have sort of a government of questionable strength in it uh, that was put in place by America but still wants the Americans to leave. And uh, if the Iranians close off the Persian Gulf, then you can't get there either. So essentially what happens is, is you really only have one pathway to Iran. And that is a sort of like, you know, uh, assault from the sea. If they really want to try to like, because you can remember, because this is another thing is because it's not, we don't live in a video game world. Uh, you could maybe bomb Iran, right? Or maybe hit it with some rockets or something. But if they want to like truly conquer it, 
and change the government, then they essentially have to make like a D-Day style invasion. And uh, guess what? The uh, problem with the D-Day was that was near the end of the war. Uh, the Germans were stretched pretty thin, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, the Iranians are not, and they've been preparing for this probably for decades, and they know it's coming. Just like the same thing where I don't quite understand what the logic was with the counteroffensive. The Ukrainian forces told the, the, the media what the counteroffensive was going to look like, and they did pretty much to the letter what they told the media. They said exactly what was going to happen, uh, that they were going to try to go right through the middle to try to cut Russia's forces in half and push to the Crimean Peninsula. And that's what they tried to do, and they failed. So with this, uh, the Iranians, not only not only do they have the weapons to sink the, U the U.S. fleet, but they completely see it coming and have been preparing for year after year after year for this. So, of course, uh, and, and also trying to invade uh, overseas, uh, um, you know, like land, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of soldiers? Uh, what it would take, I don't quite know, millions? Uh, would be an endeavor on some sort of scale, you know. Uh, I'll put it this way. It doesn't happen very often in history that you're able to sort of cross a giant body of water and win a war. Uh, William the Conqueror did it. <laughs> um, uh, I guess, like I mentioned, D-Day kind of worked with a lot of help from the Soviet Union and Germany being near the end. Um, there's probably been some other good examples in history that I'm forgetting, but it's it's a little bit on the rare side. Uh, you know, if you remember what the British tried to do in 1812 when they tried to take back America, that, that did not go very well for them. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough assignment, and uh, if they're going to try to do it, it could be a suicidal assignment. I, um, so Tim, since you mentioned about the the lands, so what's yeah. the what, what can you exp uh, share us more what you know about Putin's uh, decision to kind of search more of the lands that belongs to the empire? Oh yeah, well, um, uh, people who are the smarter than me have uh, said that this is sort of an extension where in the Russian constitution, when they had the major reforms of 2020, uh, they uh, added in that Russia has existed from before the Soviet Union, that Russia's existed uh, for over a thousand years, and it's the same contiguous Russia. And uh, so uh, now he wants to kind of find out, like, you know, what really belongs then uh, to Russia? And it also could be sort of a nice um, anti-corruption package uh, because uh, the elite in Russia, they love their French villas. So um, I think there's going to be some uh, anti-corruption measures being put into place. So um, I think I think that that's what that's probably all about. But of course, the Western media uh, reported it, that uh, it means that Putin has ambitions to take over the West. No, he just wants to know what things actually do or don't belong to uh, people with Russian citizenship outside of Russia. So that's that's what the real big issue is. Uh, and it's also kind of another sign that uh, despite the fact that many Russians would like to go back to a pre-war status where uh, uh, even if the West and East don't like each other, we can just fly to France on the weekend and have fun. Um, that's, I think, kind of also maybe a sign that that is not going to happen uh, because uh, if he really wants to know what assets people have in the West, it definitely means that Russia and the West are going to be divided for a long time economically and so on so uh yeah thank you and let me continue with the other images okay. sure so here and let's do please 
let me know again what you think of what's going on in terms of BRICS, because you know people are some people think that oh that's just going to be another you know another G7 or something. Yeah. Well, the other thing too about the G7 is that there's a certain really big player in the G7 who tells everyone what to do. And, um, you know, we could maybe say about the BRICS that, you know, the Chinese are definitely the uh, uh, big dog in the room uh, if we want to look at things and things in terms of being economic. But um, they don't even tell South Africa what to do. So, so far, so good in terms of respecting each other. But we definitely see here, you can see on that graph of like, you know, the global um, GDP at purchasing power parity. So it says uh, you can see that the West is in a steady decline. And the BRICS is in a fairly steady rise. So essentially from the, which is also something we should remember if we, as Americans, what's really sad is after World War II, so World War II was fought and half a million Americans died, if my memory serves me correctly. And that's, of course, sad. But what did the United States get out of it? It got out of it a uh, huge uh, economic influence over the world. All of America's competitors, for the most part, lay in waste. And we have the 1950s happen, the sort of um, golden age of America. And whether you think the 50s were damaging for America or were a sort of a, a gilded age and were kind of fake, that's up to you. Um, but they were definitely an economic high point, right? Something America got something out of that. So you'd think, oh, cool, the Cold War ends, America wins the Cold War, we're going to have the 1950s all over again. Nope, look what happens. You see that chart starting at 1992. Look what happens. The Cold War ends, America wins, and the average American gets poorer and poorer fairly steadily every year compared to people across the globe. Interesting how that works. <laughs> So there is definitely a big difference between the uh, fallout from the uh, Cold War than World War II. Uh, something really changed. Um, Americans certainly got a piece of the pie from World War II. Uh, we got the exact opposite. <laughs> we win the Cold War, and uh, goodbye. Your job's going overseas to prop up the Chinese. So, yeah. Um, I, want to tell, I want to mention something to this. Uh, after ending the Second World War, there was the biggest theft in human history what has happened when the Americans stole or the Allies stole all the patents, knowledge, technology from Germany. Oh yeah. We had we had um, it's it's you cannot imagine it in nearly in figures how mm. many patents and how many value of patents they stole from us yeah and this oh, didn't happen yeah. this didn't happen after the cold war there was nothing to steal oh yeah and of course everyone believes in the rights of private property and being a what what do they always say rules based international order yeah 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 <laughs> rules based for us not for you so yeah yeah i, yeah, I trust me russians feel exactly the same way uh when the soviet union collapsed all of a sudden uh all these factories in this that and the other wall uh, vanished or were crushed or sold off, you know. Um, yeah, and everyone bought everything for uh, pennies on the dollar, as they say. So it's uh, the same. It's a, they did it the same in in Yugoslavia. The yeah, Yugoslavia. The the war in Yugoslavia started because um, the econo economy crashed, 
as the new owner, the the owners of the West, who told, who bought all the companies, they I don't know why, but um, the they didn't work and or they didn't pay or something else, so that there was a strike and there was mm -hmm. no there was no possible to work anymore and the whole economic economy collapses and and uh, Serbia as the let's say main country of um, Yugoslavia, they had to make payments to all other provinces. And mm -hmm. because of the econom uh, economical crash, which was artificial made, they couldn't pay. And so they started, mm. so the war was started. Yeah. And yeah. long story short, we've just, you've mentioned well, between us both, uh, Hartmut, uh, we've mentioned uh, these, these major uh, events, major wars and all that. And yet, uh, uh, opportunities where the where especially the West, especially the United States, gained wealth, but it hasn't been enough. It's never enough. And guess what? Especially now that this uh, war in Ukraine hasn't turned out for them, the question is, uh, where's this all going to go? And unfortunately, again, um, I would really, really like it if the United States uh, would just sort of um, maybe go through a little bit of a restructuring period, a troubled period, and then come out and everyone's happy and no one has to die or anything. But unfortunately, my gut is telling me that uh, there is uh, the United States is going to bottom out or there's going to be some huge uh, economic problems ahead. Uh, this war in Ukraine was very important for them to sort of maintain that ability to keep, uh, you know, to do another uh, post-World War II, post-Cold War excuse me, post-Yugoslavia, so on and so forth. And it, it didn't happen. I agree 100% with you because um, I, I like to quote Lord Ismay. Lord Ismay was the first uh, NATO uh, general, general secretary. And before he, before he be, uh, entered office, he said the NATO was established in order to keep the Soviet Union out, mm -hmm. the, the Americans in, and the Germans under. Oh, keeps the Americans in, the Soviet Union out, and the Germans under. And now, because uh, with the Nord Stream 2, Germany would have become the biggest ally to, Euro, to Russia, and through Germany, whole Europe had would have become the biggest yeah. ally to Russia. And there would have an exchange between resources and technology. Yeah. And the United Kingdom and USA wouldn't be part of that anymore. They would have lost complete control over Europe. And by destroy by the destruction of uh, North Stream 2, the, the backbone of Europe, which is Germany, is destroyed. And especially with this mind-controlled government, what we have, um, mm -hmm. this is, uh, we have a deindustrialization yeah. and where will, go, and where does this deindustrialization goes to, to your United States of America? So it's, you can say it's another theft. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, uh, on the one hand you can kind of, um, Look at this in some ways as being a very good compliment that uh, the entire uh, function of NATO was to make sure that you guys in Germany specifically never rose up. So uh, you can take it as a compliment that uh, 
the West has a lot of faith in your abilities. Um, yeah. And despite that fact, to be honest, Germany, you know, despite its kind of condition it's in now, which is definitely not the condition uh, German patriots would like it to be in, it's still at the epicenter of the EU, you know. Um, in fact, um, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Manuel Ochsenreiter, uh, who was a German in exile here, uh, who died a couple of years ago, uh, uh, that was his sort of uh, real thing is that, uh, you know, you get to talk to the guy and hear just how uh, sad it is to be this like German from this like, you know, long ancestry of German upon German. And then have to uh, look at the country and the state it's in right now. So, uh, of course, I feel for you, man. Uh, this is, is this is not good. But um, if the eco economic situation in the United States kind of does fall apart, Europe is going to change in some way. And I don't know what that way is going to be, but it's definitely going to change. Uh, maybe it in your guys favor. It will change a lot. And uh, uh, let's say this way. Uh, last week, we could mm. hear in the radio that Mercedes-Benz has the intention to sell all their own dealerships in Germany. What? <laughs> yeah. And if Mercedes-Benz, let's say the, the symbol of uh, the German economy, sells all dealership centers in Germany. Yeah. This is a sign. So where do they send the cars to be sold? They don't think in Germany anymore. They don't care. Okay. Uh yeah, I don't quite uh I don't quite know what to say about that. That's yeah, uh that's tough. That's really Yeah. Tough. Well, I can tell you one thing. If you want to go into like dark predictions, um, there's been sort of um, within Russia when not normal people, this is this is more of like your intellectual political analyst elite kind of guys. They sort of think that when the United States fades, uh, fades, well, there's a few different ideas. One of them is that uh, countries like Poland and uh, the Czech Republic and Slovakia are going to uh, unite into the, the uh, Visegrad nations and become sort of like a buffer between Russia and the West. Uh, that's one idea. Another another idea is actually kind of the, that uh, certain countries that are kind of partially fake countries or really weak countries, if the U.S. goes away and, you know, Germany's not in any position to do anything, France is uh, in ruins as well as in England, Russia definitely thinks that uh, it might just be able to sort of like buy Bulgaria. You know, uh, but in Bulgaria, there's always, despite whatever happens, there's always really positive feelings towards Russians because Russians saved them from the Turks all those many years ago. Uh, there's actually a monument right outside of the metro station in Moscow called Kitai Gorod. Uh, there's a monument to that uh, victory over the Turks that saved the Bulgarians from being uh, sort of um, slowly but surely deleted from history. Uh, Serbia would also um, definitely like to be absorbed by Russia. Uh, so uh, Russia is definitely going to take advantage. And of course, the Baltic states are probably without the West uh, because they have such a tiny population and zero ability to produce wealth, uh, they they may come uh, back home, as it were. So, uh, yeah. So let's, um, let's say it this way: the Russians have one specific character, and the one one part of their specific character is they never forget. Not when it comes to the West, uh, dude. I I disagree. I think if uh, the United States was able to go back and make like 
10 years worth of like classic, uh, not because he's old now, but like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone, like make more of those cool movies that show how cool America is and how much richer and better everything is. They could uh, erase all the mistakes they made in Russia with 10 years of propaganda, I think. Yeah. No, what I want to say is for they, the Russians know that there was a contract that uh, the NATO was not allowed to expand to the east. Yeah. And uh, they want to get this fulfilled. And this is what I think with respect to the new borders of the Soviet Union or yeah. Pact, Pact, Pact of Warsaw, Warsaw, whatever you call it, whatever you want to call yeah. it. But uh, they, let's say it this way, they will make offers. This is my opinion. Mm -hmm. This is how I see it. Well, I think you're also thinking of things from a realistic standpoint. That's kind of the standpoint of someone in Washington who is the president thinking realistically about the future where we're in bad shape here. Okay, we definitely need a new security agreement with the Russians. But we're not dealing with rational people, my friend. We are dealing with people with their nutcase globalist vision of the future who, right before the war, one month before the war, the Russians submitted to them essentially a sort of list of demands that basically uh, uh, was like... um hey, let's go back to 1997 or something and let's redraw the map of Europe and make everyone have their own security needs, you know, um, addressed and all this stuff. The United States unilaterally rejected it, as in they rejected every point of it. So when people have that mentality, right, and they're that petty and they have that much disdain for the other side, that their security concerns, the security concerns of a slave mean nothing that I don't think that the, the, the powers that be in Washington that are there right now are going to wake up and be like, okay, well, since we lost the war, we're going to value their security concerns and we can make an agreement about Finland and you know the Baltics and blah, blah, blah. I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think that the mentality is there. I think these people have uh, doubled and tripled down on their uh, globalist vision uh, of, uh, of, of geopolitical realities rather than waking up uh, to, to, to sort of um uh hear the music i i do concur with just with what you just said tim because <laughs> even again in local conversations when someone you're talking to a person or an individual who cannot who's really have an obvious cognitive dissonance no matter what you do what you say they don't get it so yeah it's, that it's just a shame that the politicians that the americans you know trusted have that dissonance as well so then you know they think they're doing the right thing so it's not maybe a matter of that the russians don't forget or the americans but the, the americans or you know whoever is running in the deep state of america is just remember what they want to remember in a, such a distorted way and and when you said it is a uh, uh, a compliment for the german i was thinking that if NATO didn't want Russia, then that means they really think of Russia as a threat to what that, you know, that, that nefarious plan that they have again. So, you know, okay. and it's, it's kind of like a, an acknowledgement that Russia is as powerful, that if they put them in there, then, you know, they won't be able to run the whole world already. No. Yeah, so that's yeah, what you and to add to that, I, I don't know if we talked about this last time. I bring up this kind of talking point pretty often. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself. But, you know, in the 19th century, so this is like Russian Empire. This is before communism and all that. 
they the, the the establishment was very sure that since they had a lot of uh sort of uh, you know intermarriages between uh the royalty in and around like Germany Prussia that they'd be able to uh you know um have good relations with Germany and that how would the world look there would be uh sort of Germany and everything below Germany south and to the west would sort of become this like big continental Europe under German domination. And then there'd be maybe a little buffer zone and then everything sort of to the east would be under Russian domination. Uh, England would remain an island by itself with its own empire. And essentially things would be balanced and they'd be nice and safe and nice and boring. Because remember, uh, Russians definitely like the safe, boring, predictable option. Uh, as a country that's had to fight a lot of wars, uh, <laughs> that's what they want. Uh, but of course, uh, the exact uh, sort of opposite came to be, whereas instead of uh, Germany uh, making a deal with Russia to sort of more or less divide Europe with Germany getting the lion's uh, share, by the way, uh, they uh, but, you know didn't. And uh, the rest was history. So maybe this, this time we can do it. <laughs> the situation, Germany, every time Germany comes strong, or in the, in the case that Germany becomes a strong country, it has the tendency to ally with Russia, and the and the UK, mm. especially United Kingdom, wants not wants to interfere. Yeah, they want to interfere, and they want to block this by the United States of America. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, uh, I guess if you think about it, uh, in again, in terms of this sort of like brutal real politic where everything is just about sort of my survival. Well, yeah, if you're in uh, London in the 1800s and you're seeing, okay, the entire European continent is going to be divided by two powers that are going to agree to work together, we're in deep doo-doo, especially if they start building a lot more ships than they have, you know? So uh, you can kind of see the logic there. But again, that's going into this very cruel, zero-sum game. It's either us or them. We're in a battle for survival. There can't be any sort of agreements. We're all secretly wanting to destroy each other it's the very uh the maybe like a little bit of a kind of like kissinger during the cold war mindset or maybe brzezinski mindset would be better to say kissinger was reasonable at times i don't know who this was uh, oh um we had here a whole um it was not the morton plan uh i have to check how the plan uh, which plan it is at the end um Germany shall become an agriculture. It sounds weird, but Germany shall become an agriculture country with no industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the dream of our Green Party. And uh, the Green Party is more or less controlled by the US. Yeah. And the situation is that we shall become completely, we shall disappear from the economic um, chessboard mm -hmm. this is this is their let's say this is their wet dream yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah so, and um, but I, th I hope that uh, here in Germany people are um, they become they become stronger and uh, the people the the government, understands that uh, the people of Germany, they don't like well, yeah. this. Well, again, we could give German people a little bit of a compliment because despite the fact that from the cradle to the grave, they've been bombarded by this, uh, 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 um, you know, media that really doesn't serve their interests, that uh, 
you know, uh, basically the globalist media propaganda machine, right? You guys are all living under it. But at least at this point, a third of adult voters are, despite the media telling them that the AFD are evil and that they're the next wave of fascists or whatever, at least a third of adults have kind of woken up that uh, something has to change, that uh, this... Uh, uh, these globalist policies just aren't, they're not doing the trick, you know? So a significant amount of the population really has sort of woken up in Germany. Uh, and also like someone was mentioning that since Germans are probably the absolute last people to really go out and violently protest, uh, the whole farmer protests in Germany are actually maybe a good sign that change may happen. So. So let me put another image for you. Okay. Sure. So, because it, it is for today, I guess. So maybe you should make. Oh a yeah, that's uh, a friend of mine that I used to work with on a Christian TV channel uh, is releasing a film that they recorded about uh, uh, like uh, the saints of um, uh, Serbia. They said eventually it's going to get translated in English, and I'll post that up. But uh, that's so that's basically like a uh, what would that be called? For a record, it's called a premiere. The, the the film premiere. There it is. Is at the home of Rush, uh, the Russian, uh, Russians outside of Russia uh, and uh, somewhere in there, or or, or or on foreign land, something like that. Uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah, and the film is called uh, Saint Sava, uh, the Russian uh, color on the Serbian flag. Uh, the yeah, so. Uh, I believe attendance is actually free. So, but uh, I'm, I live far away and I'm sleepy. <laughs> and so, and also, I agreed to do this interview with you a long time before uh, I uh, even uh, heard about this. So, uh, yeah, priorities. <laughs> Thank you. And this is also one way that I learn about other countries, other cultures. If you really get some good movies, then you're you will expand your um, perception more or imagination more. And it's another way of learning and hearing different perspectives. I, I still remember, Tim, when when the internet first came on and on the when I go back to work on Monday, they will ask me, so um, where did you go? I said, well, I had lunch in China. I had dinner in Russia. And I can't imagine because mm. I was really <laughs> doing a you know, search in the internet. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how things have changed because we're all old enough to remember how things were before and they were a lot more uh, boxed in and uh, localized and all that. But uh, this uh, film was uh, sponsored, judging by the poster, was sponsored by like the Russia's biggest like Christian TV channel that there is called Salvation TV. And uh, so, yeah, so the production value should be pretty good. And uh, that also shows that on free TV in Russia, there's a Christian channel. So, uh you know, up to also about like the the average everyday life here in Russia. So there's like 30 free TV channels. Oh, there, there, yeah. Uh, that's uh, uh, my one friend uh, gave me access to uh, one of those AI uh, programs here. But uh, I uh, made this uh, image where the guy actually does kind of look like me, to be honest. Uh, the uh, I put a Russian uh, businessman. Uh, is putting down a large bet, I think was what I told the AI to generate, uh, and it generated a picture of myself for the most part. But uh, this is about the American village because I, I, as of uh, today or tomorrow, I should finally have the final price. We finally have all the investors in line where we can finally actually start to like build houses for foreign people that want to live somewhat uh, connected to each other in Russia. So this is, could be major good news, and I just want to finally get this project like going and actually 
have something happen because it's taken like two years of my life uh, without really seeing any um, practical results. Some impractical or sort of like uh, things of I get invited to a lot of interesting events and I've kind of become maybe the poster boy for immigration in Russia. Thanks to this project, which is cool. But uh, unlike certain people like Elon Musk, I don't want to be part of a vaporware project. I want to actually kind of get something done. So we're close. And uh, yeah, do tell um, our audience and I can hear a little no uh, vibe. Uh, how do you call it? Uh, extra noise. Pardon me for that. But do tell our audience where else they can get in touch with you, especially when it comes to this project. Uh, well, if you're talking about the American Village, uh, the group as uh, American Villages in Russia official. Uh, it's um, th here's the address. Maybe we can uh, put this on. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's for the actual American Village. If you can sort of slide that on there. And uh, for my uh, group itself, where I post everything and basically all the videos I, I do go on the Tim Kirby Hardcore channel. Uh, there's that. Um, that's like my main channel. I have another channel that I started because I had this problem where uh, I get a lot of donations uh, from people, which is good. Uh, I appreciate that. But one of the problems is when people donate to a sort of informational channel, they don't want like a lot of dumb stuff. They don't want a bunch of memes or weird stuff about American football in Russia. Um, so I created the, the barn dominium, the, the pro Russian barn dominium. And so the barn dominium has all sorts of like weird stuff. Like today I saw uh, in uh, my uh, local County in the Moscow region, uh, someone's pigs escaped and it made the news. So uh, pigs running wild uh, outside of Moscow. So just kind of dumb stuff like that. So that's the other one, but uh Yeah. Oh, so there it is. Yeah, at the bottom. That's for the American village. It's a Sierpukov because that's the site of the first village, which is now going to be the second village. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, that's basically kind of what I've got going on in the English language uh, sphere there. Of course, uh, I'm doing uh, videos about travel, which I should probably promote because my uh, um, what's that's called uh, subscriber base is very small in English. So let's go with YouTube. Well, uh, where's Tim? Let's see. Oh, Tim Kirby Travel. There we go. And uh, this should be my YouTube channel. We have like 5,000 subscribers. That is terrible. And Rush, the Russian channel has like 150,000 or whatever subscribers. So that is not, not good, but uh, that's me. Tim Kirby's Travel. Uh, that's uh, basically all the travel videos I do. Um uh, the English version, because we usually translate everything. So, but the Russian version, the Russian project is way more successful. That's that. So, now if you didn't get that, but just if you just search the name Tim Kirby, yeah, you'll find it. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially on YouTube, it should come up. Uh, yeah, uh, or like on uh, Rumble. Uh, I think everything we do should be on Rumble as well. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Uh, any more last words? Wisdom. <laughs> oh, the words of wisdom. Um, I uh, let's just see. Oh, uh, is um, you know, uh, if you guys are really interested in maybe visiting Russia, it is still possible. You can get a tourist visa. You can get here. You have to fly through Dubai or Turkey or some sort of neutral country, but it is still possible. People think that it's become impossible to visit Russia. They still give out the tourist visas to everyone, even Americans, even the British. 
the people whose governments are kind of maybe the most responsible for all the problems here, you can still come visit. Um, but one thing I would tell you, for those of you who are interested in moving to Russia, uh, that's cool. But I have to warn you of two things, maybe two or three things. Number one, it is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do in your life. The system is against you. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, and uh, number two, don't take any advice from Russians. Because Russians tend to give advice like this. Uh, immigrating to Russia is really hard. And if you talk to Russians about it, they'll just say, oh, all you have to do is just pay some guy and they'll give you a passport. Oh, it's easy. There'll be no problems and everything. They'll make it say everything's so easy. Everything's so simple. It is not. It is a real nightmare to build a life in Russia as the laws stand today. Tomorrow is a new day. I've heard some hints that they might make it easier, but uh, that's tomorrow and not today. And as it stands today, it is, uh, I love it here. But it was one heck of a fight uh, trying to be here from a legal standpoint. And uh, to all our audience and to all our supporters, we thank you very much for your regular support. And the best thing is to like, share, and subscribe to me, to Quantum Nurse, or to Tim, and to all our guests whom we have been, they've been really chosen well. <laughs> I, I take pride of that because energetically they have to resonate with truth <laughs> and freedom. So from, from the East to the West and to the Middle, let's all join together so we could make a difference and in your own little way. Tim, thank you very much. And I truly- My pleasure. Enjoy, uh, whether you join me here or on the Telegram and you're really good because you, you bring joy to our lives and you bring hope to all of us. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay, seriously, thank you guys. That was awesome. I had a really good time, and uh, I'll talk to you later.